For those that uh, have not met yet, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's great to have you here today. And uh, this service is the third in a three-part series on Thanksgiving and being thankful. Uh, do you think it's easy to be thankful all the time? Uh, you know, I, I really don't think so, I agree. Especially here in Canada, I find. Uh, I think we've mentioned this before at our church, but uh, the term first world problems, I think we have we've may have heard that term before. Well, I first heard that term when I was at a church in Calgary a few years ago, and uh, some people may call it rich man's problems, but anyway, when I first heard this term, uh, we had a gentleman who was a guest speaker at our church, and uh, he was just starting out, and it was wintertime, and he was just talking about some of the things that we seem to complain about here in Canada, and um, so he first started talking about driving, and I had a, when I lived in Calgary, I had a really long commute. I lived on the very south end of the city, and I worked up, up by the airport. And so it was a long commute every day. The traffic was horrendous, especially when it was wintertime. So when he started saying, uh, these are some complaints we have in Canada, and started talking about traffic, I was right in there with him. I was like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So he said, we complain about icy roads. And I'm like, check, absolutely. We, can, we complain about the snow, check. We complain about being stressed driving to work and back, check, big check for me on that one. Uh, we talk about too much traffic, check. Uh, not enough lanes on the highways, check. Uh, we complain about traffic lights that aren't synchronized properly, check, check, check. And um, things at home, we talked about a few things in our home lives too that we complain about. Things like computers, we complain when our computer doesn't start up quickly enough, and especially if it's a PC, right? Anybody know it's a PC? Uh, I won't go any further on that one. Uh, I'm an Apple lover, as you can see. But um, anyway, other things we complain about at home are things like microwave ovens. We stand in front of the microwave and we're yelling at the machine, can't you cook it any quicker? And it's a microwave after all, right? I mean, how much quicker can it, can it go? But uh, these are some of the things that we complain about and we call them uh, rich man's problems. I'm sure that you guys can think of some other ones yourselves too. Well, the reason I mentioned this this morning is because on Thanksgiving Sunday, uh, Pastor Allen started this series by talking about how God hates uh, people when they complain and when they grumble. We read in the Bible that Sunday that uh, the Israelites uh, were infamous as they uh, circled from trusting God uh, and praising Him and being in great relationship with God, uh, going to complaining and grumbling, uh, down to rebellion, and finally just turning their backs completely on God. And I'm sure many of us know the story when the Israelites were finally released from Egypt. It was an amazing time for them after being in captivity for so long. And Pharaoh finally decided, I'm going to let the Israelites go. And so they left. Well, soon after, Pharaoh changes his mind. And God had led the Israelites to the shore of the Red Sea. And now, here they are basically stuck at, at this shoreline, at the Red Sea. And they look behind them, and now what do they see? Uh, the oncoming, angry, vicious Egyptians coming down towards them. So God has just made an amazing miracle, delivered them from this captivity that they were in in Egypt. But they find themselves in a difficult position, and boy, did their trust in God change very quickly. We read in uh, Exodus chapter 14, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up, and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Uh, let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse out here 
dying in the wilderness. Well, I think, again, most of us know the rest of this story. And God amazingly overlooks their grumbling and complaining. And once again comes through just miraculously. The Red Sea parts and the Israelites are able to walk right across dry land uh, through the Red Sea on either side of them. And when they get to the other side, they turn around just to watch the Red Sea come crashing in on their enemies, the Egyptians. And God has saved them amazingly one more time. Then the Israelites begin their journey to the promised land that God was going to give them. And so they start on this journey. Well, not long into the journey uh, do the Israelites go back to their old ways of grumbling and complaining. And they start by complaining about the water. And God amazingly fixes that problem for them. Then they are complaining. They wish they were back in Egypt again, saying, you know, we don't have enough food. There's not enough to feed everybody. And God, again, just miraculously feeds them from food coming from heaven. Well, as we continue to read the, the complaining uh, to God, or to, the complaining and God providing, this continues on when finally God says, I'm not going to let you enter the promised land, even though they were right on the border. He said that until they stop their complaining, they are going to lose the blessing that God had prepared for them. And this, uh, Pastor Allen reminded us that we need to put ourselves in that same picture. And this was such a key point in his message that week. And I just wanted to uh, reiterate this question and let it really sink into our minds once again. He asked the question, he said, what blessings may we be missing out on because of our inability to stop complaining and start praising and thanking and trusting God? Now, last week, Pastor Allen continued the series and talked about how we as Christians, instead of this grumbling and complaining, uh, that we need to be thankful because God loves gratitude. And the word gratitude means the quality of being thankful, uh, the readiness to show appreciation for and uh, to return kindness. So the question was asked last week, can we, this be an option for Christians, can we actually grumble and complain, or do we need to be filled with gratitude? And of course, the answer is no, it's not an option. We need to be filled with gratitude if we truly have become a follower of Christ. He said, when you are not grateful, it expresses a lack of trust in God, which is basically saying, God, we don't love you. And then we read in uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. We want to have a great root system, and we need to learn the Bible, and we need to study it, but we cannot stop there. We also want to and need to have this great fruit system. Uh, we need to overflow with thankfulness. This is truly the sign of a true follower of Christ. Well, today we're going to be looking at how as Christians, when we uh, live this life of being grateful and full of gratitude, uh, when we have that great fruit system in our lives, we can actually cause the people around us to praise and to be grateful to God. I always enjoy when Pastor Allen uh, finds an interesting article or a research study uh, that helps us uh, see in a practical way how when we live for God, it actually is beneficial for us. And so I found this, uh, this uh, scientific study that says, uh, it's called the ripple effect of kindness. And the author, Stephen um, 
Our uh, handle starts out by saying, the world can seem like a really cruel uh, place sometimes. As individuals, though, we still find the need to want to make a positive difference around us, but we get discouraged so easily. Uh, we see wrongdoing, uh, we see suffering, we see harm, and we feel like there's little we can do to try and change these negative aspects of our world. However, as it turns out, our acts of kindness and good deeds may have a larger impact on the world than we initially thought. So according to this study, which is published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, that's a mouthful, uh, researchers have shown that generosity can be highly contagious. In other words, when we act kindly towards one person, uh, that person is much more likely to be more kind toward other people in the future. So researchers had participants in this study, they had them play a game that rewarded them for being greedy. And um, what they found though was interesting as they played this game that if one person did a simple act of kindness, they did something that wasn't greedy and actually did something kind of kind in this game, it created a ripple effect of kindness. It started out as a single little act, but then it spread outward affecting many other people that were playing this game. Stephen says it's good to know that our acts of kindness don't, always, uh, don't only affect those we do nice things for, but many other people who may we may never come in contact with. So this shows that our actions can have a real and long-lasting effect on the world, even if we start off very small. He says the bigger truth is that if we're going to build a more positive world, then it has to start somewhere so that he challenges us. We should be part of the catalyst to make that happen. Of course, some people, he says, are just more naturally kind to others, but we all have this capacity to rewire our brains to be more kind. And it's called neuroplasticity. If you've ever heard of that, you should check it out. It, uh, so it, we have the ability to actually rewire our brains, and in this case, to be more kind. So Stephen says that uh, the results show that we all should begin practicing kindness more on a daily basis, and we can make incalculable changes in uh, others over the course of our lifetime. And then he concludes, for those who are still thinking only about themselves, he says, kindness doesn't only benefit the recipient, but it also benefits the giver. So doing acts of kindness on a regular basis has shown to be linked to increased mental health and happiness. So there you go, just one more good reason to be a nicer person. Uh, you know, so this morning, uh, if you're here and you say that you're a Christian, you know that we are truly agents of praise and thanksgiving. So not only do we thank God, but in the process, we should cause others to give thanks to God too. God wants us to be filled with trust. He wants us to be filled with gratitude. He wants us to be filled with thankfulness for him. And when we are filled with this, uh, which is really our love for God, isn't it? We want to share it with others. Now, if you've ever been on a missions trip or you've done something to reach out to the poor and needy, you know exactly the feeling of wanting to go and be involved because you want to share with others. You want to care with other people. You really want to love on others. And ultimately, you want to see people's lives changed and you want to see people's lives transformed. When we are thankful for all that God has done for us and know how God has made a difference in our lives, we want others to experience this as well. 
Now, uh, many of you are familiar with the book of Matthew and chapter 5 in particular, but, well, for those that don't know, Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, and he originally was a tax man, and he wrote this book uh, in a very orderly and concise manner. Well, it starts out in chapter, in chapter 5, it starts out with the Sermon on the Mount and with the Beatitudes, if you've heard of that before, and they describe the personal experiences and benefits for a person that lives for God. So just quickly, it, it, uh, it says those who are poor or who are, uh, mourn, who are meek, those who are hungry for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure, those who are peacemakers, and even those who are persecuted for God, they will also experience uh, the second aspect of these Beatitudes. And that says that they will receive the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will experience mercy. They will see God. They will be called sons of God, and they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, as I was reading uh, on through Matthew 5 in preparation for today, I was reading through a few different Bible translations, and uh, I read through this chapter in the message paraphrase, and the wording here really jumped out to me. And the heading for this next section after, uh, after Beatitudes is called Salt and Light. And here, how it, here's how it starts out. It starts out with Jesus saying this. He says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. And if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. He goes on to say, here's another way to put it. You're here to be a light. Bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not to be kept a secret. So we're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, Jesus says, you don't think I'm just going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I've put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, Jesus says, I want you to shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. And listen to this, by opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You know, I really love that. It says, this is why you are here. This is the reason for being here on planet Earth. This is why God put you here in Winnipeg, uh, why he put you in the area of the city that you're in, the school that you're in, we, the job that you're in. You know, we just finished a series on the book of Esther uh, where we heard her story and the challenge for her to understand that God had put her exactly where she was for such a time as this, it says. God had a plan for her life, and the plan was to cause others to praise and glorify her Father in heaven. Uh, recently, I received an invitation to go to this premiere of this movie. It's called uh, The Same Kind of Different as Me, kind of a unique title. Uh, but the movie is based on a true story, and it's about uh, the lives of a few different people, but two in particular, uh, two very different people who encounter each other at the Union Gospel Mission in Fort Worth, Texas. Union Gospel Mission is obviously an outreach to homeless people, and they do feeding programs and many different things. Well, the first person in, in this uh, true story, his name is Ron Hall. And Ron Hall is a very wealthy man. He's an international art dealer. And so he's doing very well for himself, but he goes through a very difficult time in his life and in his marriage. And with his wife, Deborah, uh, they're on the brink of separating, but uh, 
Amazingly, the two are able to reconcile. And one of the things they, they say that they're going to do is they want to do something together to help them rebuild their relationship. So uh, really on Deborah's uh, initiative, she decides that they should go and help at this Union Gospel Mission soup kitchen in this very, very rough part of Fort Worth, Texas. So that's Ron. And when they're there, uh, one of the first experiences that they show in the movie that they encounter is all of a sudden they're behind the counter helping dish out the food, and this man comes barging into uh, the, the eating area, and he's got a baseball bat, and he's yelling, and he's screaming, and he's swinging his bat. Everybody's jumping out of the way. He's knocking over tables, sending stuff flying. He takes the bat, and he smashes it through a window there, and he's just going crazy. And everybody is really scared, but somehow Ron and Deborah start yelling at him, and they amazingly get his attention, and he kind of finally calms down enough so that he stops what he's doing, and he just takes off out of there. He's gone. Well, Deborah in particular has, has this inkling that God must have put in her that there's something special about this guy, and so she really wants to reach out to him and, and get to know him. And actually, it's her husband, actually, that makes the first move and starts reaching out to Denver. And, uh, you know, just to make a long story short, eventually Denver kind of softens up enough so that he has this conversation uh, with Ron and they uh, somehow, somehow over time become uh, friends. And Denver in one part of the movie opens up about his life and, and why he's homeless and why he's so angry. And so again, just to make it kind of short, he basically says that he grew up in rural Louisiana in the 40s and the 50s, and he grew up on a cotton plantation, picking cotton. Uh, in his very young years, his, I think he was living with his grandmother, and she passed away in a really tragic accident. So all he has left is these workers and working on this plantation. And that's all he knows, picking cotton, day in, day out. He said that actually as World War II was happening, he had no idea. As the Korean War was happening, he had no idea. He had no idea about industrial revolution. He had no idea about buildings. And, and uh, he had seen a vehicle, but he had no idea how many vehicles there were out there and roads and all these kind of things. He had no clue of what was happening outside in the outside world besides his life there on the plantation. Except for one thing. He had seen a train. that was a train that ran close to the fields, uh, you know, I guess every day. And so he saw this train. So it gave him an idea there must be something else out there in this world. And so one day, he decides at the very right moment, he takes off running out of the fields and just doesn't stop. And he runs and he jumps on this train, having no idea where it's going to go. And he gets off in Shreveport, Louisiana. And he's just overwhelmed by what he sees there. But soon after, obviously, he is hungry and he doesn't know what to do. He has no idea how to get food or whatever. So uh, unfortunately, he decides he's going to rob a bus. So he gets on the bus, but there happens to be a police officer right there, and he gets arrested. And not only does he get arrested, but they throw the book at this guy, and they put him in, I can't remember the name of the prison, but it's one of the most notorious prisons in the U.S. down in Louisiana, and he's given a 10-year sentence. And he says, after these 10 years, um, it was just an awful, awful experience uh, he became so bitter and angry and, and just mean through this whole thing. He experienced some terrible racial things in his life as well, and especially at the jail too. And he comes out a very, very angry man and really hopeless. He really has no sense of what to do with his life besides this anger that he's carrying. And he just ends up homeless with no future. Well, again, like I say, Ron 
and his wife Deborah intersect with with uh, with this gentleman. His name was Denver Moore, if I didn't say that already. So Denver, um, uh, his life starts really changing and transforming, and it's amazing watching through the process as Deborah and Ron reach out to him and care for him, how he starts opening up and his life starts changing and he starts caring for other people. And anyway, you got to go see the movie and just see how his life is really turned upside down. And again, this is based on a true story. And Ron and Denver uh, basically became a great team and they traveled through the U.S., Uh, raising awareness for homeless people, reaching probably, uh, changing lives of millions of people and raising millions of dollars in support of this cause that they were on. You know, so it's amazing seeing movies like this or reading stories about people and when you see their lives transformed, it's so inspiring. But it's even more impacting when you see it happen to yourself, when you see somebody's life in in your own real life, you see somebody's life that's transformed And I just was going to share a quick story, too, of my good friend growing up. His name is Barry. And Barry and I grew up across the back lane from each other in East Hildonan here in Winnipeg. And we so we knew each other all through school. And uh, I had invited Barry to church. We were, again, we're great friends. Uh, Sadly, when uh, I think we were in grade six, his parents separated and were divorced. And he ended up just living with his mom and his sister in this house. And again, I kept just being a great friend with Barry. He was a great friend with me inviting him to church, and, um, and over these years, sadly, his mom developed cancer, and the year after uh, we graduated high school, his mom passed away. So here he is, an orphan, basically, just out of high school, and um, we remained good friends through this period. And, you know, and I only I say this because it's to God be the glory, but Barry said that through that time, because I was such a good friend with him and stayed close with him, tried to care for him and just love him through all this, that he really sensed God in his life, and uh, he continued to come to church, and, and really, God just revolutionized Barry's life and turned him around. He became a, just a serious follower of Christ. He went off to Bible school uh, shortly after that, uh, found his wife, got married. He became a children's pastor at a church in Saskatoon, and uh, a few years after that, they moved to Kelowna, where he continued being a children's pastor there. Well, it's just so exciting that my, my role here at Cross Church, I'm, I'm called the discipleship pastor. Well, just this past fall, uh, Barry in his church in Kelowna, he has been now given the title of discipleship pastor at this church. And it's just so thrilling for me to see this friendship that we've had all these years and the difference that God has made in his life. And now that he's now uh, being such an impactful person in so many people's lives there in Kelowna. I just wanted to share uh, three simple things now after discussing all these things. And one is, first of all, I just wanted to say, um, thinking about Denver's story, if, you're any, if any of you are here this morning and you may think to yourself, you know what, I can kind of relate to Denver in, in one way or another, or maybe in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe you feel kind of down and out, or maybe you feel like you've given up on life for whatever reason. Maybe you feel a sense of hopelessness. Uh, Maybe you think you've just done too much bad, that there's nothing good that can come of your life. Well, this is truly where Denver was at in his life. He was angry. He didn't trust anyone. He just had given up. But when we look at Denver's life, we see that God had a plan. And Denver says in the movie that he didn't actually find God. God found Denver. And it's just a great reminder that you are never too far from the hand of God reaching out to you, no matter where you're at. You are never too far. 
from God's love. The second thing is that as a Christian, those of us that are Christians here this morning, uh, you and the situations you find yourself in are also never beyond being used by God. This is the amazing thing about uh, living a life for God as a Christian. As we believe that God is the creator, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And you know, he has made us and he knows all about us. But yet he wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. And he has a plan for us and he wants us, he wants to use us to help make his love known in others. Well, the third thing is, is you saw this morning as you came in, you saw the shoeboxes and you saw my daughter Lauren here. I'm so proud of her. She says she can't dance, but I think she had some pretty good moves. Hey, this morning, hey, would you say so, Esatu? She always thinks Esatu is such a great dancer, she can never be like her. But anyway, she's got some potential, I think. So anyway, just great. Lauren had some fun here this morning. Um, But, you know, when we talk about shoeboxes, I love this time of year uh, being part of this uh, campaign here at our church. I, it was a privilege for me a few years ago I, when I lived in Calgary. I was able to actually work for Operation Christmas Child. And I went on a few different trips to a few different countries around the world. And what a thrill and a blessing it was to actually be part of handing out these shoeboxes. And I know there's some of you here that in 2012, you guys did a, a shoebox trip to Costa Rica and had the same blessing to be able to do that there too. Another thing I was going to say is, uh, obviously, we're very connected with the country Burundi here. And uh, if any of you have been around for any length of time, you may remember us talking about a fellow named Benoit earlier this year. And Benoit is very involved at the Village of Hope and also Cross Church Burundi. And he was getting uh, married, got married a bit uh, back in May, I think it was, Dennis. And we as a church were able to actually raise some money to help him. Uh, with his wedding and all the things that went with it. So uh, he's a great guy and a very special uh, instrumental guy with, uh, with our uh, group there in Burundi. Well, Benoit, with the Cross Church Burundi, his role is actually the director of the children's ministries there. So he's involved with all these children's ministries. And through that, uh, Benoit actually connected with the uh, National Committee of Operation Christmas Child in Burundi. And he's now part of that committee there. So how exciting is that, that he's actually doing shoeboxes right there in Burundi. And when our team goes to uh, Burundi in January, I'm looking forward to meeting with Benoit. And I think even with the, the entire committee of Operation Christmas Child there, talking with them about the possibility of getting some shoeboxes distributed, maybe to the Village of Hope, or maybe even to some of the street kids that we've been uh, blessed to be able to start reaching out to this past year. So we'll see how all that goes. Let's pray about those opportunities for sure. But, you know, going back, when I first went on these trips handing out these shoeboxes, I heard stories of, uh, and actually saw churches of, of churches that actually started with children that received these shoeboxes, some places in the middle of nowhere, that these kids were coming out to get these shoeboxes. They would come back for these Bible lessons for a number of weeks. And after the lessons were finished, they wanted to keep coming. So what did they do? They actually started a church. And the first attendees, the first congregation was made up of kids. And slowly their parents came and built up this church. Just really exciting stuff to see. So, you know, these shoeboxes are such a simple little tool, but a simple, a good deed that we can do. But boy, does God do great work through them. And he causes people to praise and glorify God. Well, right now, I just want to do something a little bit special here this morning. 
It's uh, my privilege to welcome a lady who has uh, worked with the shoeboxes actually in Eastern Europe for, for a number of years. And her and her family just immigrated to Canada from the Ukraine. Uh, I'm so glad that we were able to get connected and uh, we worked it out so she could be uh, with us here this morning. So can I ask you uh, to join me in giving a really, really warm cross-church welcome to Sophia Bihun. Sophia, come on up here. God bless you. Thanks for coming to be with us this morning. And, uh, you know, the first question I wanted to ask, Sophia, is how long actually have you been here in Canada with your family? We are a family of five. I have three kids, three girls, 10, 6, and 3. And we came here um, six weeks ago yeah. on the 6th of September. So only been in Canada for six weeks. So that's awesome. Now, you mentioned to me earlier, uh, I, you know, I think we sometimes you may kind of laugh at this kind of story, but tell me your first, first experience when you walked into Walmart. What, what was that like for you when you saw that? Uh, you know, um, maybe we are more, uh, we, we try to value life and what we have in life when you can, can compare. And God gives me an opportunity to compare life in Ukraine and here. And first, like so the first week we came here, we came to Walmart and I was looking of all the stuff that, that are laying on the shelves. And you know, it looks like I would like to cry because I just understand how blessed is this country, and how blessed are the people here, and how many opportunities people have here to bless the others. Yeah, that's right, that's right, yeah. Amen, amen. So I have a map up here of the Ukraine. What part of the Ukraine did you and your family come from? Uh, we come from the western part of Ukraine. It's uh, closer to Poland. Um, the eastern part of Ukraine, when, you, when we compare life, western and eastern part of Ukraine, and the eastern part of Ukraine, uh, people, the level of life is very low, and especially now, nowadays there is a war between Russia and Ukraine, if you know. So it's like kind of difficult. So life in general, whether you're on the east or on the west, it's a difficult, difficult life, especially when you compare it. So what is life like for the average person that lives in the Ukraine? The life for the average person is uh, completely different and complicated. Um, I just tell you about from my own experience. I was a teacher and I worked at the university and it was a part-time job. I went to the university three times a week and I got a salary for $50 per month. Mm. Uh, and people there... Uh, just struggle to, uh, our salary is enough to buy food, not everything. Like you can buy meat uh, once a week, not every day. Um, and to pay hydro, like electricity, water, and, and all that stuff. So if you couldn't uh, buy clothes uh, every day, for example, I was uh, from the family of seven. There are, I have five sisters and one brother. So, for example, we don't buy clothes very often, but for holidays, for Christmas, for Easter, uh, our mom always buy us new clothes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a very different life. $50 a month for a university teacher that you're working part-time. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, talking about the shoeboxes, how long did you volunteer with Samaritan's Purse and Operation Christmas Child? 
Anyway, uh, when we don't look at <coughs> what complicated, how complicated life in Ukraine, God gave me an, a beautiful opportunity to bless others, you know? Because of you, uh, we bless others. I am in this ministry for four years. I, I was in charge of discipleship program, The Great Journey. We distribute shoeboxes, and after that, we organize like clubs for the kids, and they come, and then I always told my teachers, because uh, I also conduct seminars, I also always told teachers that uh, the Samaritan's Pass project is never-ending process. Uh, what I mean under this is that you gave a shoebox, and uh, you gave a key, the shoebox gave you a key mm. to mm. every heart of this kid. Mm. It means that you open the door for the kid and they can, uh, they can know Jesus. And you know, I, I know that everyone experiences that when you feel Jesus and when you know God, every day you know something new and you couldn't imagine life without him. Mm. So God gives everyone this kiss. Mm. Through this small shoebox, you even couldn't imagine, you know. God gave me an opportunity to see the, the process from the very beginning. I was there, yeah. and I came here, and I see it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So going from uh, getting these boxes and thinking, you know, being so blessed. You, you shared a story, too, that uh, was it you or one of your friends received the box and still has one of the items from it when they were small? Yep, um, uh, I, am, I was working with the teachers who are also um, in charge of uh, the Great Journey program. And one of them told me the story that when she was a child, she, was, she is now 25, when she was a child she got a shoebox and there were a lot of stuff and there, were, there was a comb to comb your hair and she has still this comb and she told me that through this shoebox, she came to Jesus, and she still has this comb, mm. just to remind her that through this small box, mm. uh, God can make miracle. Mm. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. So, you know, it's just such a great, a great story that you said that, uh, you know, when you came to Canada, you see how much we have here, and having been on the receiving end of them, now to come back and say, you know, that we have this key here, that we have the ability to send these boxes and be, you know, share God's love in this way that can impact somebody's life. And you know, I just want to add that I know that the person who knows Jesus, we hope that we will meet him in heaven. And mm. the best reward is when we come there and the God will say, this person comes through you mm. because of you. And I think that there we will see a puzzle, a whole puzzle, you know. There is one part of puzzle in Ukraine, the other is here. And you know, when you come here, I, I hope that everyone when we will come to Jesus, we will see this puzzle, the whole picture, That's right. how God works. Yeah, yeah. God will say, this person was, was impacted through yes. your, this person. People we don't even know that we're going to, God will say that we've had the opportunity to impact. Yeah. yeah, amen. Well, you know, the, the shoe boxes go out to, I think it's over 150 countries around the world. So everywhere from Ukraine to South America to even Burundi, as we mentioned earlier, that we're doing shoe boxes all over the place. And uh, I think over the years, since 1993, it started, over uh, almost 150 million shoe boxes have gone out to kids and made a difference and been impacting them with the gospel ever since. So 
It's just thrilling to have Sophia here to be someone that's been on the other end, the receiving end, and seeing the difference that it makes, and now being here to be able to share those stories. So we're so grateful that after only being here for so long that we were able to connect, and you made the time to come here this morning to share with us, Sophia. God bless you and you and your family. Thank you Thank so much. You. Thank you so much. And I just want to tell you that you are doing a great job, and I think that when we come to Jesus, Jesus will sell you are a faithful slave. I give you the small, and mm -hmm. you are faithful in a small, so I'll give you the big. Mm -hmm. God bless you. Amen, amen. God bless you. God bless you. Well, right now, I just want us to watch this, uh, this I think it's a three-minute video, and I think it's going to touch your heart, so let's watch this together. Right now, in places all over the world, there are children who feel forgotten and alone, without a home, without a friend, and without hope. But what if love could arrive through a simple gift? When you pack a shoebox with Operation Christmas Child, you're giving much more than a gift. You're helping a child find a friend, experience the love of Jesus Christ, and discover their own potential. In the hands of a child, this small gift has a big future. I was lonely in my room. I sit on my knees and I talk to God. God, I need a Bible. God sent for me a gift. Getting a gift was very new for me. Opening the book, I did find toys, cars, and a Bible. God answered my prayer and I feel so happy. After a child receives a gift box, the child is invited to go through 12 lessons, which we call the greatest journey. We want to disciple to make her a stronger foundation of empowering the new generation. When students graduate from the greatest journey, they receive a certificate and a Bible in their own language. In the hands of the local pastors, these boxes can be used as a tool to touch a whole community. Nosotros compartimos con los niños una cajita de regalo, pero a la vez compartimos el evangelio con ellos. Hacemos un seguimiento y a través de la gran aventura, los niños comenzaron a asistir domingo a domingo. Entonces, prácticamente inició la iglesia con niños. The Great Commission, we're to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication, that's what we do. Don't just give this box for today. We give this box, we preach the gospel through the boxes for the next 10 years, 20 years. The ministry of Operation Christmas Child, it has given me so much hope. It never ceases to amaze me how a simple box can change the world for a child. Thousands will be impacted by just one gift. Hallelujah, amen. Well, Jesus said, let me tell you why you are here. He said, you are here to be a light, so let your light shine for others to see, so that others may see your good deeds 
and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm going to close in prayer, but I just want to say before I do, if anybody wants to uh, talk to anybody or pray, there's going to be some folks here at the front after that you're more than welcome to come up and chat with, and they'd love to chat with you as well. So let's close in prayer, shall we? Lord, thank you again for your love for us. Lord, it is truly amazing when we think of what you've done for us. And Lord, we can't help but want to take that and share it with others. So Lord, I pray that we will do that no matter where we are in life, that uh, whether in a small way or in a big way, whatever it is, God, that you're asking us to do, may we be faithful to do that and to follow through and be expectant of God, you doing something great through it. And we may never know, we, we will never know all the people that will be impacted by your love through the acts of kindness that we do, the ways that you use us, God. We'll only find out when we get to heaven to see the full picture of how we were able to partner with you completely here on earth. And I also want to pray for anyone here, Father, this morning that may have that sense of hopelessness in their life, that they feel that maybe there is no future for them. They've done too many wrongs to have anything good come out of their life. Lord, help them to know, too, that no one is beyond God's reach of love. His arm of love can reach them no matter where they are. And uh, Lord, so I pray again, let's be lights in this world and let's see a different, make a difference and let God use us to shine his light to those around us. So let's, uh, let's just see God do great things. We just pray this in your name this morning, Jesus. Amen. God bless each and every one of you and pick up a shoebox on your way out.